I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Rewind's 50th show special. I'm your host person, Kevin Byrne, and I'm joined today by Simon McGuire, my fantastic producer. Hello, Simon. How's it going? Fantastic. It's a bit of a stretch. I'm not too bad. How are you getting on? Are you all right? Feeling good, Simon. Feeling good. Can't believe we hit, hit the magic number of 50. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's funny to think, all right, um, when we, I didn't realize it until about a couple of weeks ago when I, the, the numbers and um, ACAST told us we were hitting 50, that that's how many we got through. We look back. We started this during the first lockdown, I think it was April or May. And, you know, there was, uh, we didn't really know how, what we were, what we were going to, how far we were going to get with it or what we were going to do. And to see now 50 episodes up, not out and, and going strong is great. And I, I suppose we need, we both want to thank um, uh, Kieran McDade and Declan Ferry for giving us the, the time to and the freedom to go and, and do the show as we see fit, you know. Yeah. Kieran Farron as well, couldn't not, couldn't not mention El Stretch here now, my sports editor. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is it. I only forgot because I don't report them. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah, there's a lot of people who've helped out, and you know, getting space in the paper and, and getting stuff online as well. And without without them, we wouldn't be able to do it. And it's great that we got the fifty, and we're going to kick on now as well. And and you, we had a chat maybe about changing the format, Kev. If you want to let the listeners know. Yeah, well, look. I mean, we st- we had big plans to start up a podcast last year, and it was going to be almost like a roadshow. We were going to head, um, you know, we had big plans to go to Cork and record down there with Spike O'Sullivan and go up to Belfast, and you know, we'd up myself and Michael Conlon. We were going to record with like Nugget Nugent and Jerry Story. We'd on the road, we'd be going to big fights, coming back with big pod, you know, a load of recordings to bring out week by week, and all sorts of plans, uh, best laid plans before the pandemic hit, and. Uh, you know, to use your line, we all thought we were going to die last year. So things <laughs> no, changed no, very that was, quickly. That was, that was an off-air line, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Things changed very quickly and suddenly we were all kind of working from home, recording from home. So we wanted to start up something. So we said, let's, uh, and it was your idea, Simon, so fair play to you. We said, let's start up this kind of a rewind aspect. We can record it from home. We can look back at famous fights, famous, you know, famous forgotten stories, uh, iconic moments, Irish boxing. And it's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed like the the research aspect of it. Uh, talking to people who never, the, the whole thing is talking to people who never really get on podcasts, like who should be. Because when you work on Irish boxing, you know the amount of characters there behind the scenes, interesting people to talk to, and just funny, funny people. And they're not the ones who have the microphones thrust into them. They're not the ones who are called up to discuss, oh, how do you think Katie Taylor got on the weekend on the panel shows? And I want to bring a voice to those kind of people and get them get them on the air and get them talking. So the rewind aspect worked brilliantly from that, from that angle, I thought. Yeah, no, it's been a very enjoyable, you know, probably now 15, 16 months in terms of just the freedom, as I said earlier, to, to let, to do what we want, to, to go and find the stories that, you know, aren't really that well known. I'm a boxing fan, but I'm not the biggest boxing fan out there. And I've learned a lot listening to the last 50 or so episodes, you know, from people like um, Deirdre Nelson, even Paul Griffin, who was a, a superb guest. And 
yeah, that that was the goal of the show. I mean, the, the, I mean, there's there's plenty of um up to date on the on the beat podcasts out there, and we wanted to try and do something a little bit different. And I think we've done that. We've a library there now of forty nine uh, episodes, which we're going to look back at now in the fiftieth one. And it was just it was just our way of introducing the show. Um, and just getting the show up and running before obviously we're going to hit the road. Now that's not going to happen anytime soon. So we're going to have a bit of a reset now. Um, for fifty one onwards and. Kev, would you like to chat through that? Yeah, well, we're just going to call the show from now on the Rocky Road. It's what it was meant to be uh, called in, in in the first place. We're going to discuss, you know, with boxing figures, their journey from the from the bottom to the top. Everybody went through it. There's nobody who's a world champion who didn't struggle to get there. So it's, it's been a rocky road for everybody to get to the top. And uh, for us, certainly, to get this show out has been one as well. So um, we're going to take the rewind aspect out of the show title. We'll still look back at famous old fights, famous old moments, have a few in the pipeline in the next few weeks and months. But uh, the temptation over the last year, there was sometimes just moments in real time that were too big to ignore. Like we couldn't not discuss Eric Donovan's fight at fight camp with Eric, you know, almost as a live thing and his, his uh, move over to Pascal Collins. Katie Taylor defending her world undisputed title. It's just too difficult to ignore. Jason Quigley had a big win over in Las Vegas. And we kind of broke ranks from the format. So I think, uh, especially with the last week's episode of Quivian Hines or Quivian Nicarco, I keep calling it Quivian Hines his old name. But um, yeah, I think that's it's just too tempting not to not to speak to people who are making waves in the sport at the minute as well. Because you know we're going to run out of cult heroes and and old timers as well pretty soon. So it has been an honour to shine a light on the unsung heroes of the sport. Sifting through stories alongside regular guests like Eric Donovan, Jim Rock, Kenneth Egan, and Pascal Collins. Yeah, and just on that point, uh, those those four guys in particular, uh, we both like to thank uh, as much as our, our colleagues in the in the Irish Sun for giving us the time. Those lads have, have put the time in as well, and given up their own time to to help us get this on the road and to to bring their stories and their expertise and their knowledge to the podcast, which we you know we certainly couldn't do. So without them, the the, the show wouldn't be where at, at number fifty either. You know. Yeah, and and always kind of funny and insightful guests as well. Like and. To be fair, anytime I ever call them and say, look, can you come on? I want to do a show and here's the idea and blah, blah, blah. Then they'll go off and think about it for a week and always come back prepared, but with loads of kind of good recall and funny. Like that's, the you know, the entertaining. So it's uh, it's always a great laugh to get the lads on the line. Yeah, definitely. The, as you said there, the prep is always done. Like they don't just turn up and expect, and you, they're not guessing answers. You know, they they, they put the time in, they've, had it, they've thought about it and, and everything they say is interesting and, and worth listening to, you know? Yeah. Now, so in the course of the podcast at eight, we've brought you uh, interviews with world-renowned promoters such as Barry Hearn and Lou DiBella, world champions from Ireland such as Wayne McCullough, Dave Boy McCauley and Eamon Lochran. Run the numbers to find our country's biggest punchers and even the GOAT. We didn't really get an answer, but there's a there's a few conflicting ones. We track down American contenders with sometimes just a spurious nickname to the home sod. But a nickname that suggests, yeah, he's one of ours. Irish Jack, O'Hall- Jack O'Halloran. Lived down the road from me, actually, once upon a time. Irish Pat Lawler. Irish Peter McNeely. Uh, not forget the Irish Bomber. The Irish Bomber. Joe Smith went on to become a world... Fight was cancelled due to COVID. And we thought, oh, no. But then, you know, our, our episode was a waste of time. But no, it, he played it out a month later and uh, won the world title. So fair play to him. And hopefully a few big fights coming down the line for Joe. Yeah, we definitely get Joe back on as well. Yeah, the Peter McNeely episode was a tough one, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was uncomfortable to listen to at times. I don't really know what to say about that episode. It was It was brilliantly sad, if that makes any sense. Mm. 
We recorded around the time there was Mike Tyson mania. He was coming back. He ultimately ended up fighting Roy Jones Jr. Exhibition fight against Roy Jones Jr. But there was a lot of interest in Mike Tyson. So we said we'd get uh, Peter McNeely. And he's suffering from suffering from CTE. Uh, but he's, he's got great recollection of his fights. But you just need to give him the time and the space to tell a story as he wants to. And um, yeah, it was kind of deeply affecting for all of us. And Eric Donovan joined us on that one. It was a tough, tough show to record. We just needed to be kind of calm, patient and, and let him tell us. Yeah, like uh, looking back at it now, I'm glad we did it, and I'm glad we put it out. But at the time, uh, yeah, no, it was it was it was difficult to listen to. I, I thought. Yeah, our guests have taken on some of the most feared fighters in the world, such as Mike Tyson, Roberto Duran, and Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, no, we had uh, it was great to have David Diaz on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, talking about his fight with uh, Manny Pacquiao. I remember watching that fight, you know, years and years ago as a fan, and you know, I just remember he, he took a bit of a beating that day and. To see him now that he's he's living life well, he's a he's an estate agent. He's got a young family. He was dropping his son off to some team park. You know they both play baseball. His two kids, and he's very he works with his wife now in, in the estate agent uh, game over in, in Chicago. And he's very coherent. He's very happy with his with his life and his his legacy in boxing. Uh, I think he was a three time gold and glove champion. Went to the Olympics. Uh, the shock ahead of Zab Judah to Manny in the American in the American game at the time. And at the end of the day, he you know he beat Eric Morales and he fought Manny Pacquiao, and you know it's a career you know not many people have. He's actually one of one of only two people who would fought both Pacquiao and Morales as well. Yeah, and of course, Kevin, you, you, you can tell me the other one because you listened to the episode. I did, but um, I forget. Go on, you put me on the spot. Nice, Marco, Marco Antonio, Antonio Barrera. Yeah. <laughs> Barrera, yeah. yeah. Area for God's sake. And um, our guests have fought in arenas such as the National Stadium, MGM Grand, and Madison Square Garden, and that's just Patrick Highland. We've discussed trauma with Pajo, John Joe Finnegan, Nate Jones, taking you inside the Olympic Games from Los Angeles 1984 to London 2012. Uh, chatted with cult heroes Darren, Darren Corbett, Neil Sinclair and Paul Griffin, the kind of lads who always bring the maddest stories. Yeah, Griffin was, a, Griffin was, a, was a, an eye-opener. Um, <laughs> Griffin! That was, that, was one of the, that was one of the best episodes uh, record, that we recorded. Uh, I was breaking it the whole way through pretty much. Um, Plus, you ever knew really know what was going to happen if he was going to start shouting or running around the place with the phone or computer around. And you know, it was just um, you just did, I didn't know what was going to happen. I'm sure you didn't either. Well, do you remember we lost that? We did an original episode with Paul and Wayne McCullough, but we lost the episode. Well, was the I, I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but the um, the, yeah, the, <laughs> the audio was, you know, fucking atrocious. I think it was the best way of describing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was absolutely devastating. So I said I'd get Paul back, and um, we will do that episode again, Paul and Wayne, because I put them back in touch after years of not speaking to each other. But they were the best. They were the best of friends back in '92, and all through their amateur careers, and kept in touch. But uh, just lost touch. But uh, yeah, Griffin was amazing. I talked to him, talked to him still pretty often, and uh, I know he loved doing, doing the episode as well. And it was a great boost for him because I think a lot of people who you know Paul Paul's a loved a love figure in Irish boxing, and a lot of people kind of heard it. And he's one of the kind of names that I was thinking of at the start in the intro, like just names that don't you don't really hear from, but they've got stories to tell, and they should be telling them. We've had hometown national heroes like Paul McCluskey, Martin Lindsay, Willie Big Bang Casey, Jason Quigley. Spike O'Sullivan, trailblazers like Deirdre Nelson, Francie Barrett, Christina McMahon. My favorite episodes have always involved the people whose names you don't see in the headlines. They're not mentioned regularly in the boxing pages. Insiders, the guy behind the guy, the, per- the people who make the sport tick, uh, the ones who inspire kids when they take up the sport and encourage them to keep going when the road gets rocky. Like your Anna Moores, Tom O'Shea's, Tony Davitz, 
So it makes sense to start off today's episode, a run through of some of our favorite moments from the first 49 shows of the Rocky Road Rewind, with a tribute from European cruiserweight champion Tommy McCarthy, which was paid to Mead Mogul Davis on a recent show back in May. And like I said, Tony was involved with practically everything I was on as an underage boxer from schoolboys right through the the under 18s. And when we got to the the world under 18s, which is the big ones, the biggest tournament that any of us had been to, we just assumed Tony would be part of it as a manager or as a coach because uh, Jimmy Payne and Jim Moore were the two coaches and we thought you know, Tony would be involved in some way, as he was throughout the whole, over the years. But for that trip, Patrick Gallagher was the manager. And we were disappointed because Tony kind of brought us through from schoolboys. And here we are. This is the last tournament that we'd go to as before we turned senior. And it was the World Championships. And we all, the, there was eight of us gone and we all wanted Tony to be here. And, it was disappointing that, that he he didn't he didn't get picked to be part of the team. So we went out to Mexico anyway for the, the training camp and the championships was there too. And the day before the championships were to were to start, we were just sitting in a room, just messing and just talking. Next thing, the door opened. Tony walked in and fuck me, it was just like, it was like seeing your granddaughter or something or seeing a, your your dad, like everyone was buzzing. We all just ran over, we were all just hugging him. We were just so happy to see him. And we were laughing like fuck as well because like, how is Tony here? Like Jesus Christ, we're in the middle of Mexico in Guadalajara and Tony just shows up. So that's probably my happiest memory of seeing him because I was so glad to see him and we all were. So obviously he paid for himself to come in, but he just tracksuit and all. And they were giving out the accreditations, the members of the team. And Tony went down and was talking to, I think it was Dr. Wu was the president, the big, the top dog anyway in AIBA. And he, he went up to him and was like, yeah, I'm the president of the IABA. And I'm like, oh, right, here's your accreditation. <laughs> that was him. Like, even if he wasn't supposed to be on the team, you couldn't get him off the team. And we were glad for it anyway, because Tony was our guy. Yeah, and McCarthy and David Joe Joyce would win bronze medals at the tournament, the World Junior Championships. Jamie Kavanagh claimed a silver medal. And Mayo's Ray Moylet, he came away as world champion, but the week started with a bang. Just bring it back to Guadalajara, so then it. I was coming from the west of Ireland. You know, I don't know how they travel too far outside the door before it, but we landed over, and the the bus that the the bus that picked the team up from the airport had all bullet holes in it from I don't know previous events that happened there a few years ago. And the first night we landed at the hotel, we're actually so we're going to be there for a month. And the first night we landed at a hotel, a car bomb went off down the road like two blocks away, and the whole hotel shook. And uh, it was a fair, it was a fair fall from grace from, uh, from the quiet lands of Isle Nady to the, the big streets of Guadalajara, in Mexico. Ray and the lads were not the only ones to experience a dicey situation in Mexico, as the Irish team prepared for the Olympic Games in Los Angeles twenty four years before that. Phil Sutcliffe walked himself into trouble. We made it over. They weren't letting us back though. <laughs> we went over <laughs> and Nick Kieran and Gordon. 
and uh, we went over the good old day. It was, a, it was one of the days where the, uh, a man let loose in McDonald's and he killed a load of people, a shot a load of people. We were blessed. We only missed that by, I think we only missed that by 20 minutes, where a man got fired from uh, one of the McDonald's groups and he came back with a machine gun. And, he, and he, he peppered the place. I think he killed one or two. I'm not so sure now. But we were out and then we were out buying knickknacks and that, you know, for presents. And but it was fairly cheap. But then on the way back over, he wouldn't let us back in. And we, we caused a bit of a hassle. But we didn't, we, we, you didn't need your password going in. But coming out, you need your password. Arthur Bryan wasn't very happy. Yeah. And how, how did you get, how did you, to, how did you negotiate through? Like, what were the people at US Customs saying? Like, to be met by three Irish boxers saying, we're meant to be in the Olympics. No, but there was only two. Guard wasn't in the Olympics. He was just with us. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were just left into a room and whatever phone calls they made, we eventually got through. You know what I mean? Yeah. It must have been a nervous few minutes, though, or a few hours even. No, nervous. We just we're too young to be nervous. We're just having a laugh. And Tony David himself was no stranger to hairy situations in pursuit of his boxing fix from Belfast to Iraq. Yes, I was. I was the first man to go to Derry when the when the, when the troubles were on. I went to Derry and I got on well treated in Derry. I went to I went to um, up to Jerry Story. Jerry was a good friend of mine as well. We went to the Europa. And I remember in the Europa we had. It was going back to the troubles, right? And all the boxers were in the dressing room and they were all ready and all shots on them. And the, everyone said, right outside, bomb scare. And they were all down on the street. And, and it was a cold night, like it was in February. And it was cold. They were all on, on the street in their shorts, waiting for the, the police and all to, to clear the place to make sure there wasn't a bomb. Yeah. There was no bomb that night, but three weeks later, there was a bomb. Well, you know. I suppose the young lads under your care trusted you though and would go wherever you said it was safe and was there ever any nervousness about going to these places? Not really, no, not really, no, not really, no, not, not really. They they were happy to get the out because the Dublin lads, they never were outside the city and the life, like, you know what I mean, them times. You know, they, they didn't even know where Stamullen was. It was 25 miles or 30 miles from Dublin, like. Yeah, yeah. One of the best trips, one of the best trips uh, that I was, uh, the Olympic Council asked me, I don't know if you know about this or not, was to go and train the Iraqi team. I trained the Iraqi team in 2007. They were getting ready for the uh, Asian Games. So we trained them on the, on the, on the bonds of Kuwait and, 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 and uh, Iraq, you know, because at that time the, the, the war was raging in, in Iraq, you know what I mean? That was, must have been a culture shock. But you're used to working in war zones, uh, Dublin back in the 70s, but... Yeah, but it was a culture shop, Kevin. It was a culture shop because every morning at five o'clock, the, you could hear the 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 the, 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 the mass, whatever it was, the Muslims singing at seven or five o'clock in the morning. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't sleep too much, but it was good. Like I got on well with the Iraqi team. Like you know, I was over there for for two weeks, uh, training on two and a half weeks, and then the, then they went to the uh, Asian Games, and two of them got to the quarterfinals of the Asian Games. You know. From war zones to gym wars, we heard about a good one when we reunited Barry Herm with one of his first world champions, Ali Mina's Eamon Lochran. I'd heard talk that he'd once had a serious run-in with Herbie Hyde behind closed doors, so I asked him about it. Well, in the gym? Yeah. Basically, this is typical. Herbie Hyde was a bully, a terrible bully. 
<laughs> he used to love beating people up. He wasn't, it wasn't pleasant. I mean, I told him to his face, he's a bully. Uh, he used to hit sparring partners in the back of the head and they went back at the end of the round, things like that. And he decided he wanted to have a move round with Raymond, who's a welterweight, you know, and he's, you know, he's a standard welterweight. And he took, Herbie uh, took liberties. You know, he's a bigger man. The idea when you, you can, you can spar with anybody if both sides agree the rules of conduct, you know, because you're moving around, you're just getting fit. And he took a liberty with Offerin. He bashed him up a couple of times because of his size. And Eamon, as Eamon always said, Eamon, he's a nasty bit of work as well inside. In those days, he was a firebrand. I was believe one he wanted to kill him, not just bash him up. And Eamon just, he just left the gym. He flew out. Mm-hmm. And he came back. And I, and I see something in his eyes that wasn't good. Eamon was focused like that. This bloke can take the liberty and I'm going to do it. And he came back and I won't go into as many details as Eamon might, but I met Eamon outside the gym as he was coming back to sort out her behind one way or the other. And we had a little frank exchange about, Eamon, this is your career at stake here. Calm down, calm down. And he took five minutes before his eyes started to go back because he was focused on doing some serious damage. And I'm not saying I saved the situation. I'm saying he saw sense eventually. But he was on a very tight fuse. And Herbie Hyde, probably to this day, doesn't know how lucky he was to get out of that gym in one bit. I'll, I'll give a wee bit to it too. Yeah. Borry, Borry saved the situation so he did. There's no doubt, no doubt about it. If, if Borry hadn't him, Came around the corner at that time. I had seen the red mist, and I, and I probably probably one of the only times in my life that I'd got yeah. to that angle because he he had given me a good clout so hard. He'd hit me so hard a few times so hard. I had got one or two into him, but it wasn't. You know, I was there was four stone a difference, so there was, and uh, and I mean there was no need for it, so there wasn't. And uh, Barry calmed the situation down by. I think he. I think he sent me. He actually it was more than five minutes, so it was Barry. It was probably got to an hour talking to you, so it was. <laughs> and uh, he had sent me up round the shops, so he did, and he'd give me a few pounds. He says, "Go and buy yourself a lovely suit," and that was the way. And I sent Herbie home, so he did. But the the thing that came out of it after it was when Herbie came back on a Monday or a Tuesday, he was very very pleasant, and we'd all come away done that had gone to our level, but and. Yeah. Uh, the camp down so we had. And he was very, very from that day onwards, he always respected me. He was always nice. He was always mannered to me. And he never once took advantage again. So he didn't. So that maybe had to happen. So no, he know. was he he was frightened of you. See, he <laughs> saw he no, seriously. I mean he's he's fifteen stone. No, he's four and a half stone bigger than you, and a lot bigger physically. But Herbie was you know, he was on top five, basically. Mm-hmm. He saw something in you. He couldn't handle. It's a terrible thing. It's not. It's not about your size. It's not about the size of the dog. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. And one for the messing was Dublin featherweight Paul Griffin, an old friend of Lochran's. He was European champion in 1991. However, you roomed with Paul at your peril. Sort of this way, when you went away on a, on a on a boxing trip with me, you didn't want to stay in my room, but not it. Because you might you might come home with less two eyebrows or you know something something. 
it, it was just all fun and games for me, you know. But yeah. uh, there was, was no malice in it. It was just a bit of crack, you know. But uh, you, you had some great, great times with, with over the years, uh, traveling abroad with, with the, all the other. I got on with everyone. I can never really say that I didn't get on with anyone. You know, it was great. If you didn't have boxing as a teenager, Paul, what do you think you would have been up to? Well, see, this is it, Kev. You know, uh, I was from Jim, which is which was a rough enough place, and and you know, there's a lot of shit going on. But I have to be honest, that's all I ever wanted to do was box, and and I'm so glad I owe a lot to boxing. I owe me life to it. Like I've seen the whole world. I've been everywhere in every country. I've been probably in every every country in Europe. I've been to South America. I've been to Canada three times, America three times, Australia, Thailand. I've been everywhere. You know. I was only 19 coming in and I have to remember it's like the I was a very, very bad mess and like just played a lot of pranks on things. I remember going into Neil Goss room one night, one one morning before we you know, before we were out running and he and he was in the shower and it was about six o'clock in the morning and I filled up his I filled his shoes up with sugar and, and milk and tea bags. <laughs> <laughs> and I could hear him and then because we'd all have to get down to get weighed you know Nicholas would weigh us all you know first every morning and then I could hear him screaming through the, the hotel he said Griffin and it was always Griffin <laughs> that's the thing if that hadn't happened I always got the blame you know but uh, yeah. it was funny Dennis Galvin and Billy Walsh were uh, on the team Dennis was very funny as well great great times at Dennis I went to, I went to Thailand with Dennis and uh I went to I went to Sydney World World Champions with Dennis and I and I I, I shaved both of his eyebrows both of his eyebrows I shaved off on the two occasions and I'll never forget it. I shaved his eyebrows off. He's had the he's had a fight his first fight and he got beaten I think and he was drunk and I, I shaved him off. So we went to the competition without him. Next of all, he got a taxi from the hotel out. And the, the, we're in Sydney and this was a huge big place, you know. And I seen him coming. I was at the top of the, there was like, you know, a big stadium full of seats. And he's, yes, he looks up, he screams, <laughs> And he chased me all around the place. And I had to say, Dennis, I swear to God, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Oh, sure, who else did it be? And then he fell asleep on the, he fell asleep on the way home on the plane and he shaved his eyebrow on the plane. <laughs> Grandpan, uh, and then he and then he was one of those crazy fellas. We were coming in, and he had his bandages and his mitts in the bag, and he's and he's sweaty fucking gear. He never even washed his gear. And uh, next of all, he's I seen his his uh, passport hanging out of his back pocket, and I dipped him. And next of all, he got to the fucking place, and I said, "Where's your passport?" And he's looking all around, and he's gone. And next one, he empties the bag on the floor, the bleeding, smelly fucking gear and everything. And he's, his face is, oh, me boss, he's, he's nearly crying. And next of all, he said, fucking, there it is, there in there, didn't you? Jesus. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus, it's terrible, terrible. Yeah, yeah. I said, Dennis, you're not going to get out of this airport. They keep you here for fucking days. Relax and have a look. And I had it in my back pocket. And next, I said, where did, give me a, give me a look at that. You're not serious now. There you are, you fucking easy. And he didn't cop a fair play. Oh. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Billy Walsh and Eddie Bulger come from Wexford Town, population just over 20,000. The Irish boxing coaches are now heading up the programs in the USA and Germany, respectively. In May, they came on the show to talk about what they left and reminisce on their time at Wexford CBS. Uh, where do you want to start us a long one? Uh, so <laughs> yeah. I'm going, I don't know, I think, you know, I, I, I can't really speak for Eddie, but we're, we worked together for, you know, for a number of years in, in probably the most successful program in Ireland, um, if not one of the most successful in the world. And unfortunately, you know, um, people got jealous of his success, I think, and uh, weren't happy to allow it to continue to grow and flourish, you know. And, and uh, you know, opportunities came along for, you know, other countries were looking at what was happening. And, uh, they took the opportunity to take the two of us out. people didn't really want to hold on to us, so... Was that your experience as well, Eddie? Um, well, yes, it's probably different. I wasn't probably such high profile as Billy, and uh, for many re- for for good reasons. Uh, but things changed when Billy left. Uh, I mean, the fundamentals were still being done, and people probably overlooked that the the, the work was on the floor was still the fundamental work was still being done. Uh, my contract was coming up for. Uh, to be looked at and I was I was asking to be reviewed and I couldn't get anybody to review my performance and it was just out of time and then that uh, Germany came on board uh, and to be honest whether I was head coach material at that time it was just an offer I couldn't refuse to, to go and develop and uh, that's that's the real reason I I, I <laughs> I was gone out the door like a bullet, really. When he's talking about Wexford, Billy Walsh says everybody boxed. But he could just as easily be talking about the Belfast that Martin Lindsay described. I I, I um, grew up in a place called Pivis Flats. You know, it, it probably was one of the roughest areas around, not even just Belfast, probably around Europe. And um, But these, 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 these flats... Um, all get knocked down and then they, they were replaced with social housing and stuff. And so our boxing club got knocked down and replaced with a, a brand new gym at that time, about 30 years ago. And it was just, uh, uh, as I say, I my house was right on the street next door to it. So I just slowly went over to the club and never looked back. 
as an eight-year-old. Yeah. There's a great story about the Immaculata gym in uh, Don McRae's uh, book, In Sunshine or in Shadow. So he's talking about Barry McGuigan preparing at the at the Mac and uh, a tearaway losing control of his joyride and a car smashing through the front door of the Immaculata. Francie McCullough was hitting the punch bag when the car crashed into the gym. He started screaming. He effing little bastard at the driver and his joyriding partner. Uh, did you ever hear about those, that story? No, but I'm not surprised. And, um, you know, as uh, yep, the, Paul McCulloch was the, was the coach, um, ju- uh, the main man at the, the Marcolata just before they moved out of the Divis Flats. And Eddie Shaw was the coach of the Mac, who was McGuigan's trainer. So I can see why McGuigan was up in the Marcolata doing some, some workouts when he wasn't in these woods, because a lot of the feeders throughout them years sort of come up, like Eamon McGee was always up in our gym and stuff as well, doing a, a lot of work when he was um, in between him and, and um, John Breens and stuff. So, uh, no, I definitely wasn't surprised about the, 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 the stolen car and stuff. There's know. another another story about, I think they're running into the gym one day and someone threw a cow's leg from the top of the flats and it landed right in front of them and just blood going everywhere. I wouldn't be surprised. It was probably washing machines getting through over there and fridges and everything. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're probably aiming for the RUC at that time. So, you know, it was definitely a rough, rough sort of place. But all the people were, were, were good people and they still are. It's still the same people that live there now, even though the, the flats are long gone. And, you know, a lot of them are good community people and stuff. I want the best for their, their, their young people um, growing up and giving them opportunities to succeed. I mentioned trailblazers earlier on. and Deirdre Nelson is most certainly one of those. She fought for the world title on her pro debut in 1996, losing to Mariana Almagra in Las Vegas, and later won a court action against the Boxing Union of Ireland, which allowed her to fight in this jurisdiction. The week of her title fight in 96, events in the USA took a turn. I think the night before your fight, the Oklahoma bombing took place. Um, that's, that's correct, that yes. Was, yes that do, you remember was, that, do you remember that sound of reverberations? I remember it vividly, actually. Um, it was just like a, a bolt out of the blue. Um, I, I was just in a state of shock. I can remember seeing the in the newspaper reports and and the devastation that had been caused. And to be honest with you, I, I wasn't sure whether or not the the card was still going to go ahead. Um, I can remember everything was it went to be a bit crazy in Las Vegas. There was like um sort of uh bomb warnings put in, and and just people were very very edgy. And the actual there is a wee bit of a story behind this is that uh, uh, we were told that uh, we needed a, a flag and I'd come all the way over and I forgot to bring a flag. So um, my other half went up to the shops in Treasure Island and uh, to get a flag and he was actually able to get the one and only Northern Iron flag in the shop in Las Vegas, which I, which I was quite surprised about. And I can remember coming back and just watching the, uh, watching the news and there was a, a bomb scare in around that area. Um, and if you can imagine at that time, obviously the troubles were going going in, in Northern Ireland and so on and so forth. And Stephen came in and I, I had to say to him, I says, um, did you did you see? I says, yeah, I've seen a bit of commotion going on. And I don't know if it's because I'm from here or not, but I said, you didn't speak to anybody, did you? Because um, he has to hear the accents, you know. He says, oh, I you know, and here's me. Oh, Jesus, we see the door's going to come in at any moment, you know. Um, but thankfully, you know, obviously it, everything was okay. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was very surreal and, 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 and terribly, terribly sad time. Yeah. And, and tremendous loss of life. And when you do hear the... Um, 
stuff going on, you know, the remembrance stuff that kind of just puts a tinge of sadness on it all, really, at the end of the day. Well, this show is a tribute to the fighters we admire so much. I started off praising the unsung heroes behind the scenes, so we might as well tell a story from one of the best, Limerick Lady, Anna Moore. To me, um, Kate stopping someone in the first round wouldn't get female boxing into, into the Olympics because the Olympic Council then could not see the quality of Katie. This, right, she stopped her opponent, but that's not, that's not, um, they did need to see Katie go three rounds or anybody go three rounds. So I was on holidays and I got a phone call uh, to ask me would I go as, not as manager, but as judge to St. Petersburg, that 2009, August 2009, to go to St. Petersburg to judge this um, tournament, the IOC were coming to see uh, what female box, the best of female boxers were being brought there world champions that were all being brought there for the IOC. This was going to be their last trip out to decide whether they would or they wouldn't let female boxing into the Olympics. And I definitely believe, and I've said this before and I'll say it again to anybody, I really do believe watching that, that only for Katie Taylor, now the quality of the other boxers was, Katie would say 100%, they were 98%. But in my opinion, only for Katie Taylor, female boxer would never have got into the Olympic Games. And I'm not just saying that. I really mean it. I don't think, listening to the way they spoke there, the way the IOC and the meetings they had and the way they spoke there, I don't actually believe. And the and IABA, our, gov- our world body, all the stops they pulled out there it, at, at that particular tournament, which was only a tournament, but oh my God, the way it was ran and everything, and the superb boxing. It was the boxing there. It was better than any Olympic Games because you had the best of the best at every weight there. Yeah, you I think know, it was I, the, top, the top tens in every division. I was yeah, reading about it, it today before. Oh. You must have felt a big sense of pride that day. Oh, I, I, I always feel a sense of pride every time I went away with Katie Taylor. I couldn't only feel... You could only feel pride with for her. You know, for being... I was I I all I'd ever say is I I am thankful to the IABA for the honor they gave me of traveling as manager with for so many times with Katie as manager because it was an honor and it was an honor and a pleasure. I almost forgot the wins. We've talked losses to legends, but the ecstasy of gold from Willie Casey, Steve Collins, that's what it's all about. Willie, you're still one of only fifteen Irish boxers north and south who have won the European title. Um, I'm sure you're very disappointed even 10 years on about how it went against Riggan though but no doubt quite proud of your achievements in boxing as well and you know being in a select group of boxers to have won the European title because the names are fantastic like from from Barry McGuigan to Carl Frampton you know current holder Tommy McCarthy but Willie Casey your name is among them Brian McGee Paul McCluskey Matthew McLean you know there's top the the top boxing names from the last 100 years have won the, uh, the European title of course, all the bigger names, as you said, mentioned there, like you know, that, that used the, that that uh, stepping stones in terms of getting onto the the world, the world rankings, like you know, and the one way to go was the European title, and you know, we do, we we had a great opportunity, and we took it, you know, and Jesus, uh, you know, but that, that night in Limerick, you know, unreal, unfucking real get, to get a European title in your own hometown, you know. Unreal. What impact did the win have back home? Do you remember, like, uh, because uh, as a kid at the time, I remember 
I remember the fight, but I remember it being far more taken with the Eubank fight, I think, maybe just because of the fuss cool. and the celebrity that Eubank had and the, the, just the size of his personality. And the, he, was a, he was a big name in Ireland, just as he was in England. What impact do you recall having in, in Ireland? What, did it have enough of one? Because this is the first middleweight title an Irishman has held for 100 years. Well, I tell you, at, at the time, it was, it, was, it was a decent impact. It was good impact because, as you stated, it was on UTV. So people did get to see the fight. Mm. It was terrestrial television. A lot of people seeing the fight. So, you know, it was nowhere near beating Chris Eubank. Nowhere near the same impact. But it was, it was an impact where, you know, there's people knocking at the door. Um, I remember, I remember one guy, you know, it, I, I sit and I laugh sometimes, but there was one guy knocked on my mother's door. I remember Hanlon's pub uh, just up the road, when I was our local, were putting on a free knife for my family and they were all up there having a drink and free bar and whatever. I remember I was at home, my, my mother's house, and this guy knocked at the door and Ulrich or Ulrich or something was his name. He was Dutch and he told me that he had written a song for my brother Steve. Uh, called Boomerang, Boom Boom Boomerangs, the song, right? Okay. Got these nerves. So I thought, oh, this is great, you know. So he's standing in my mother's garden with the old fashioned tape recorder, and there's a song I always remember that was Boom Boom Boom, Bam Bam Bam, Steve Collins is the man. He's playing in my mother's garden. And I was trying to keep it straight, but I said, that's fantastic. I said, but you know what you need to do? I said, see that pub up there? He said, he goes, yeah, you need to go up there. That's where they all are. And anyway, I, I was just literally trying to get rid of them. My mother's dog, because he looked like a right lunatic, you know. But he went up and seemingly they let him sing a song in the pub three or four times. People are joining in. So, you know, it was, it was, it was great memories. Ah, let's do one for the road. Paddy Fitzpatrick trained Muhammad Ali's daughter, Layla, and he told us about going back to County Clare on a pilgrimage with the greatest. When Muhammad Ali returned to his roots, I guess, the same roots as you have down in County Clare, you accompanied him on the trip where you met him there, wasn't it? That must have been an amazing Yeah, day. I brought I brought over my son, uh, DJ, and I brought one of my students, uh, Callum. Callum was around probably 14 or 15 at the time, and DJ would have been around three, I suppose. And um, I brought them over. Muhammad's wife called me and said, we're going to be down there. Uh, come over and meet us. And I let, them, I let them know that you're coming. I said, okay. So I got to the gate and there's a whole heap of people outside this gate where he's inside doing the speech. I said to the security, um, I said, I know this is going to appear like a bit of a long shot, brother. I said, but I'm here to, <laughs> I'm here to catch up with Mohammed. And he was like, yeah. He said, you see all them people? He said, so are they, every one of them. <laughs> and you're not getting in the same as all of them. <laughs> And I said, okay, look, I said, I'll, I'll give I'll give uh, his wife a call and I'll just wait here. Is it okay if I wait here? He says, you can wait there as long as you want. <laughs> so then I called her and then somebody came out and said to him, I'll let him in. And he came over and he went, Jesus, I never saw that happen. <laughs> You've been listening to the Rocky Road Rewind 50th episode special. Thanks for joining us and see you for the next 50. 